What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to another edition of B-Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Thursday, August 18th, 2022. As the Cardinals, they're getting the job done that they needed to get done this week in taking on the Colorado Rockies at Bush Stadium. Another win on Wednesday, that's two in a row now, over the Rockies, who have just been absolutely dreadful on the road this season. And that's what made it just so easy to come into this series with the mindset of, boy, the Cardinals just need to sweep this thing. Don't care how they do it, but the Rockies coming into the series, 18 wins to 36 losses on the road on the season. You got to find a way to beat these guys. The Cardinals let them off the hook a little bit last week when they played in Denver. The Rockies took two out of three, but the Rockies are actually a better team at home. They're above 500 on the season at Coors Field. On the road, though, they're one of the worst teams in baseball, and it just seemed like an easy thing to say to come into the series, hey, the Cardinals got to sweep it. But to actually play the games out and make that happen is a little bit easier said than done at times, but the Cardinals have found really no trouble getting the job done against a weaker competition this week, and that's exactly what you'd like to see them doing, considering the status right now in the division with the Milwaukee Brewers taking on the Dodgers this week. You knew the Dodgers were going to get their job done, right? The Brewers lose again today. That's two out of three now against Los Angeles this week. The Cardinals have won two out of two since Monday. They were off on Monday. And that allows the Cardinals to extend that lead in the division. And so that's what we're talking about tonight on B-Shape Daily, a St. Louis Cardinals team that is a little bit further out front than they were the last time we spoke. And how the Cardinals got that done on Wednesday, well, more of the same, really. This has been a team that has benefited tremendously from the moves the front office made preceding the August 2nd trade deadline. And Jordan Montgomery showed once again on Wednesday night why that is. He has been fantastic since joining the Cardinals in the trade that sent Harrison Bader to the Yankees. And he did it again tonight on Wednesday Cardinals with Montgomery on the hill. You got the lefty going against Herman Marquez. Cardinals faced him last week. Can they get the win over him this time? They do, not with an outrageous offensive performance, but they get enough done and they support the starting pitching and the relief pitching that was so strong again in this one for the Cardinals. They're racking these wins up. They are stacking one on top of the next and getting ready for the postseason push. They're getting hot at the right time of year, but I think you can trace a lot of it back to the building blocks that were added to this team and in particular to this rotation by John Mosellock and company at the trade deadline. It is working like a charm at this point. So we'll talk about the outing by Jordan Montgomery on Wednesday, what we liked about it, what he didn't like about it. He had one element that he wasn't super pleased with and a little bit of a hint had happened at the end. Talk about that for Montgomery tonight as he's continued to be exactly what the doctor ordered for the Cardinals in that rotation. We'll talk about the offense as well. We'll talk about the contributions that came from some of the young guys on the team. We haven't seen a lot of Brendan Donovan in the lineup recently. He gets a chance today and picks up right where he is left off with just a really tremendous rookie season. Nolan Gorman, some major contributions as well. And what do we think again of Lars Newtbar? At the top of the lineup, continuing to get on base for this team. He was back up there in the leadoff spot again on Wednesday with a right-handed pitcher on the mound for the Rockies. Do we think this is a lineup construction with a little bit of platoon action going on? Whether it's a lefty or a righty, that has meant a different guy atop the batting order for St. Louis. 
How do we feel about it? Do we believe that this is sustainable moving forward? All that and more coming up on today's episode of Be Shafe Daily. So before we get into the content of the show, I want to remind you real quick that you can subscribe to Be Shafe Daily on Spotify or Apple Podcasts if you're one of the iPhone users out there. I did get a message last night from somebody who said, hey, I also have a Google Pixel. So he probably doesn't listen on Apple Podcasts, but Spotify is a great option as well to check out Be Shafe Daily on a daily basis. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so pretty easily, and there are a couple of ways. One is going to my Twitter, at bshafer 12 clicking on the Money tab, and that'll link you to either Cash App or Venmo, and you can support the show that way. Or you can go to patreon.com slash bshafer 12 and consider subscribing on a monthly basis to the Patreon account, which will, from time to time, have some bonus content in addition to the daily B-Shafe Daily podcast, which will remain free as always. Appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. And so let's dive right into the content of the show tonight as we're going to start with Nolan Gorman because it's been a little hit and miss that we've seen Gorman in the lineup recently, but it's more been not about anything that he's been doing wrong, but it's about the fact that the Cardinals have been healthy for the most part compared to where they were previously in the season. You're still missing Juan Yepes. You'd like to see Yepes get back to the the Cardinals roster, but otherwise they've got pretty much the full complement of players. They've got Paul DeYoung back in the big leagues at this point. That's an element that's kept Gorman out of the lineup on occasion because if you've got DeYoung at shortstop, you're going to move Tommy Edmond more often than not to second base, and that's going to mean on occasion less opportunity for Nolan Gorman. It's pretty much been the case the entire season that the Cardinals aren't playing him much, if at all, against left-handed pitchers on the other side. I will say this, though, Nolan Gorman, if you look at his numbers, first of all, for the month of August, he's got an OPS right there near 1,000, particularly following Wednesday's performance in which he got in there against an opposing starter who's right-handed, batting in the five-hole for the Cardinals this evening, two for four, three RBIs, and one of the RBIs coming not with a base hit, but by beating out a play at first base that could have otherwise been a double play, but he's hustling all the way, and it earns the Cardinals an additional run because of it. He had a ground rule double that scored Nolan Arenado in the first. I believe Jeff Jones tweeted this out. The first time in Major League history that two guys named Nolan went for ground rule doubles back-to-back. Kind of interesting there. Good power production from Gorman. You've seen him uh, provide a little bit of plate coverage and that he's got a decent on-base percentage. The batting average is up to 247. The OPS at 788 is where you want it to be. I think he can be an 800 or better OPS guy at the big league level. And you're seeing him do these things and making these adjustments on the fly as a part-time player in his rookie season. I've been very impressed by Nolan Gorman offensively. Been pretty impressed for the most part by what he's done defensively. I want to continue to give him credit for that. Not every play is going to be perfect. There was a play tonight that uh, I had some people on Twitter harping on Nolan Gorman about. I'm not concerned in the slightest about his defense at second base. I think he can more than handle himself especially considering the offense that he brings to the table. It is so well worth the Cardinals while to have him in the lineup, especially against right-handed pitching. But even against lefties on the season, and this is baseball reference, so prior to tonight's numbers, which he faced the right-handed starter, obviously, but the 743 OPS against lefties and 783 against righties, that's just about equal. Granted, it's been 219 plate appearances against right-handed pitching, just 19 minus the 200 against lefties. They have severely limited him in that regard, but he's held his own in the small sample. I'd like to see maybe a little bit more of Nolan Gorman in those opportunities, Uh, but that's more of my mindset thinking for the future. 
the Cardinals are right now in the middle of a pennant chase. And so if Nolan Gorman is on the same team as an Albert Pujols, who is absolutely demolishing left-handed pitching, I am perfectly fine with Gorman, for the most part, being a platoon player this year. And I think the Cardinals have really leaned in and embraced the idea of having a lineup that doesn't have to be set in the same way every day. It can be flexible based on what you're seeing from the opposing pitching staff and adjusting accordingly. Nolan Gorman has been a part of that. Lars Newtbar has been a part of that recently where he's shown himself to be a capable contributor in terms of getting on base with regularity. And so the Cardinals have allowed him to, at times, move up to a higher portion in the lineup. He's been a leadoff man against right-handed pitching a few times recently. On the year, his on-base percentage is 330. This is after tonight's effort in which he didn't get a base hit, but as the leadoff man, he walks twice and scores two runs. That's all your job is as the leadoff man is to set the table, get on base any way you can, and I've been impressed with the way that Newtbar has done that ever since really he got back to the big leagues the most recent time. Remember the beginning of the season? It was like he was being thrown around a little bit like a ragdoll. He couldn't get an opportunity at the big league level, and so they send him to Memphis He's getting every day at bats there, but when he comes back, he doesn't really get opportunities right away either. It took a while for Newt Bar to establish himself, but once they considered giving him some at bats, and it came as a result of injuries to other players, but hey, however you get your opportunity, that's not what's important. What you do with it is the most important part, and Lars Newt Bar has continued to impress in recent times. His last seven games, only a 190 batting average, but it doesn't concern me in the slightest because of the walks that he's taking and he's getting on base. 357 is his on-base percentage over the past week. Despite going just four for 21, he's also worked five walks in that span with a couple of stolen bases to boot. That's Lars Newpar at the top of the order. I think it is sustainable. I asked it off the top of the show. Is that something the Cardinals can continue to do with success the rest of the year? I don't know about into the entirety of the remainder of the regular season. I don't know about the playoff lineup and what that's going to look like. But right now, I feel like Lars Newtbar is as viable of a candidate as any for regular at-bats at the top of the lineup, particularly against right-handed pitching. Dylan Carlson shifts to the very bottom of the lineup, but he had a similar game to Lars tonight. 0 for 2, but reaches base twice via walk and is trying to work to get that on-base percentage up a little bit. I think they've been pretty similar players, but that allows them to be complements to one another pretty well, Lars Newtbar and Dylan Carlson. Carlson is the switch hitter, and so you figure he's got more flexibility. That typically can be something you enjoy at the top of your batting order. However, when Lars Nupar is hitting right-handed pitching the way that he has recently, I think you're fine with allowing that to be somewhat of a platoon. Even though there's a switch hitter involved in it, you shouldn't necessarily consider that he'd need to have that platoon advantage. But you look at the numbers for Dylan Carlson this year, he's been much more effective against left-handed pitching. A 318 batting average compared to 215 against righties. The OPS, it's night and day. 898 against lefties for Carlson, 644 against right-handed pitchers. I think it's a perfect match, and it's the kind of thing that I think we've talked about going all the way back to spring training. When Ollie Marmel was establishing himself as the Cardinals' manager, we, we, we heard some comments from him back in Jupiter that led us to believe and even this went all the way back to the offseason when we were getting zooms with the new manager and and interviews like that where it seemed like he was going to be a little bit more of a modern approach to managing and you think about examples from other teams that have been successful in recent years in Major League Baseball like the Tampa Bay Rays like the Dodgers 
some of the, the the Giants, I think, did a good job of this last year where they don't necessarily have to have a set lineup, but they've got 11 or 12 position players, all of whom can contribute, and they're going to plug those guys in with impunity, not necessarily based on, well, these are my best nine, and therefore I'm going to find a way to get them in regardless, and that's our set lineup. No, you can have guys who, they're not necessarily bench players. They're good enough to be starting players on contending caliber teams, but if you've got more than eight or nine of them, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. And there have been times in the past when the Cardinals bench simply was not good enough to have the strategy. Like if Edmundo Sosa was still here, God love him, and he's having a good start to his Phillies career with uh, a little bit more offensive production than he was giving the Cardinals uh, previously in 2022 before the trade. But those kinds of players, I was never excited looking at the starting lineup and saying, oh, Edmundo Sosa's in the lineup. Like offensively, you felt like you were sacrificing some things to get him in there. You liked his defense. You liked the energy that he could bring. But certainly in 2022, he had not been providing the offensive punch that you were hoping from from anybody in your lineup. The case with some of the other young players that the Cardinals have brought on this year, those guys are being maximized to their strengths and making a difference in the lineup on a regular basis when they get in there. Nolan Gorman. We've talked about him a lot tonight. He has not been regularly in the lineup. It's been kind of every other day, but it's based on the matchups. Albert Pujols, he's not going to be in there very often against righties, but we're seeing magical things from him, and it's most often happening when he's facing left-handed pitching. Brendan Donovan, he can do a little bit of everything. He can play everywhere. He can hit regardless of where you put him in the lineup against the type of pitcher that you're going to see him face in the lineup. It hasn't really mattered for Brendan Donovan. And it's probably been a difficult adjustment for him to go from basically an everyday player once they brought him on and he was a spark plug and they had to put him anywhere that they could because he was making a difference on a daily basis and they didn't want to sit him. And it made sense that they didn't want to sit him. But then again, Paul Young comes back and that's another guy that's been impacted. The playing time just hasn't been there for Donovan on a regular basis. But I mentioned that he's pretty much matchup proof. You look at his splits on the season 788 OPS against lefties, 757 against righties. That's really good regardless. The batting average, virtually identical, 286 versus 279. On-base percentage, nearly 500. It's 455 against left-handed pitching, 382, still really strong against righties. He has just been a tremendous boost for the Cardinals, and credit to him for getting into a situation now where yeah, he's not playing on an everyday basis, but he hasn't allowed that to impact his ability to help out when he is in there. Interesting to see him in the DH role tonight. They want to get Gorman those opportunities, I think, to play some defense and to keep him on his toes, allow him to feel the flow of the game, even as a part-time player. Donovan, they brought him up initially, and it was like he could play anywhere, but he was always in the field because he's a plus defender. He's made good plays in the outfield. He's been at third base. He's been at second. He's played a little bit at first. They even shoved him into shortstop while DeYoung was gone before they admitted that Tommy Edmond could do the job as well. Brendan Donovan has been such a versatile weapon for the Cardinals this season, and tonight they shove him right back into the number two spot in the order, and he goes three for five with an RBI and a run scored. He's just been tremendous, and it's the young guys who, they're not playing every day, but they're still finding ways to contribute when called upon. And I'm looking at the Newt Bars, which he's now more of an everyday guy, especially with uh, the Harrison Bader trade. There is no center fielder coming back to this roster. He's on the Yankees now, and uh, Cardinals honestly are better off for it based on getting Jordan Montgomery in return. We'll get into Monty's outing and how he pitched on Wednesday in just a moment. But I just wanted to gush about the young guys for a little bit longer. 
Newpar. He's elevating his status within the team from where beginning of the year he couldn't buy in at bat. He was being shoveled back and forth between here and Memphis, and now he's here to stay, and he's batting at the leadoff spot against right-handed pitching, finding ways to get on base, helping this team out. Donovan, great game tonight. Goldsmith does what he does. Arenado had the RBI ground rule double as well. So you're still getting those contributions from the two MVP candidates that are in your lineup on a nightly basis, but you're also finding the young guys contributing at pretty significant levels. And I just like that the Cardinals didn't miss a beat tonight. Yet O'Neal out of the lineup. The reason for that, I think, was pretty defensible. Even though that's a guy that you'd like to see going and, and just get the regular opportunity to get back to where he was last year when he had an OPS above 900. He was top 10 in the MVP vote. That's what Tyler O'Neill is capable of, but I didn't mind him sitting tonight, and here's why. Coming into the game, 0 for 6 against Ramon Marquez for his career, five strikeouts. Corey Dickerson, who took his spot in left field in the starting lineup, 5 for 9 with a double in his career against Marquez. So it was a matchup-based thing, and on occasion, you're going to give Tyler O'Neill days off. He doesn't have to be an everyday guy. Really, nobody in this lineup does, except for Goldie, except for Arenado, Everybody else is at least going to take some time here and there, and I think the Cardinals are better for that because they're built with a deep bench like they haven't had in years to be able to send one wave after the next. It's okay to be a platoon-based team for the most part outside of those two anchors in the middle. It's okay to be that way when you have the personnel to pull it off. I think in past years it would be frustrating to see some of the guys that would get regular at-bats you say, I don't know why this guy's in there. He's not as good as the person whose spot he's taking. But now the Cardinals finally have a little bit of balance, and they, they it's the yin and the yang. They complement one another well. Newt Barr and Carlson, I mentioned that they complement one another. They're in the lineup on the same days, but one of them's batting first, one of them's batting ninth. It's just going to depend on what starting pitcher you have out there on the other side. Gorman's going to play against right-handed pitching as well. He should because he's been crushing the baseball in his rookie season, showing a lot of development, honestly, at the big league level. Like, he was down there in Memphis at the beginning of the year crushing homers. That's great to see. But he had questions about what the plate discipline could look like and whether he could hack it at this level. And he's going to strike out. That's fine. It's 2022 in Major League Baseball. It doesn't concern me in the slightest when he's making hard contact and, and providing damaging swings for this team offensively like he did tonight. Led the team with three RBIs and a 5-1 to one win over the Rockies. I like that Tommy Edmond didn't have to start tonight, didn't miss a beat with Gorman in there, not defensively, offensively, obviously. I mean, he's a guy that can be a middle-of-the-order bat in Nolan Gorman. Tommy Edmond was batting fifth or sixth last night on Tuesday, and I didn't really think that was a great fit for him. But when you've got a number of those sort of on-base guys but not big power the Newt Bars, the Carlsons, and the Edmonds, I think they're all in similar conversations, similar categories, but I'd like to see each of them raise their on-base percentage, and I'd like to see Newbar and Carlson at the very minimum hit for some some power. But Tommy Edmond was the one that supplied the home run last night. At the end of the day, it's fine to give these guys some days off when the second stringers, if you want to call them that, which it's really not that way, it's just the guys that are more effective against X pitching versus Y pitching, when those guys can come in and have the impacts that they did tonight, that's where the Cardinals are going to be dangerous moving forward because it eliminates the weaknesses in the lineup. They've had weaknesses at times this season. They certainly have in recent years. But when they're going the way that they're being deployed right now, it's really you're nitpicking to try and find weaknesses in this lineup. 
honestly, the only weakness that I would uh, identify over the past few days would be Paul DeYoung, actually, again, which is unfortunate because he had been swinging the bat really well uh, coming back from the injured list, or not the injured list, he was in Memphis. It might have felt like he was on the injured list, but he was just out of sight, out of mind for Cardinals fans and and probably for this lineup that was grinding away without him. Right now, he's on an 0 for 11 over his past three games. Not to make too much of that, but I want to caution the Cardinals from thinking that Paul DeYoung has to be on the level of Goldschmidt or Arenado as an everyday player. He certainly has the ability to make a positive impact on a nightly basis. However, you've got to look around in that room and recognize, all right, we've got guys that can play shortstop. Tommy Edmond can do so when he's an everyday player for us pretty much as well. So we're happy to have him sub in when the matchup dictates it. Same thing for Brendan Donovan. He could play shortstop. He held his own earlier this season when given some opportunities to do so. I think that DeYoung should be in that exact same category as guys like Edmund, as guys like Tyler O'Neill, who are occasionally going to get breaks. They're, they're going to have nights off that aren't just for rest reasons. It's for matchup reasons. Don't just put Paul DeYoung back in the lineup every day in the six or five spot and say he's got to be in there every single night no matter what. But you also don't have to send him back to Memphis. There is an in-between where he can just be one of the guys, find the best matchups for him, and continue to exploit those. The way that the Cardinals have successfully done with so many other guys, especially the way we have seen the lineup construction go recently. That's the really only change I would make, and it's not to say it's a, a negative at this point, because again, this was only the third game where now we can officially say, okay, DeYoung's in a little bit of a slump with that 0 for 11, and, and the strikeouts are ticking up. That They've always been there, but you weren't noticing or caring about them as much when he was getting base hits and he was hitting for power, extra bases, things of that nature, I would say that Paul DeYoung could use a a break Thursday afternoon. That would be maybe a change that I would make. Put Donovan back in there and let him play uh, second base or shortstop, depending on what other things Ali Marmel wants to do with the lineup. I I just wanted to make sure I mentioned that tonight because when DeYoung's going well, it seems like we talk about it a lot on the podcast and we're really pumping his tires and, and, and liking to see the positive things from him. We also have to recognize that there are going to be times where it doesn't go as well. And I think Ollie Marmel needs to just be aware of that and make sure he's uh, exploiting the matchups as best as he possibly can and not running DeYoung into the ground when things aren't looking quite right because you do have viable options, which has not always been the case. And I'm excited to see with a little bit more run what guys like Gorman, who I'm sure he'll be back in the lineup against Antonio Sanzatella on Thursday, what guys like Brendan Donovan, now that he's back with the team, can do. I I think this would be an opportunity maybe on Thursday afternoon to make a little bit of a lineup change and and see what that looks like against the right-handed pitcher. Like, that's when it makes sense to do it. So I'll be kind of curious, but yeah, I mean, you look at the numbers recently, the Cardinals lineup, they're they're getting the job done. It's not always pretty. The five runs tonight, Gorman was a, a pretty significant factor in helping the Cardinals supply those. It was five runs on Tuesday, six on Sunday, you got to go back to Saturday to find uh, really a disappointing game offensively. That was the one that the Cardinals end up losing in extra innings with Adam Wainwright on the mound. Those kinds of things are going to happen on occasion when you're facing a pitcher like Corbin Burns. I just like what we've seen from the Cardinals uh, ever since Sunday, really, the past three games, even without just madness throughout the lineup and everybody kind of firing on all cylinders. You have enough guys that are capable in the lineup that one day it's going to be Goldsmith and Edmund that are hitting home runs, and that's going to be uh, what provides the bulk of your scoring. 
game like on Wednesday, it's going to be Nolan Gorman that comes through and, and makes you realize, wow, this kid is doing a heck of a job as a rookie. And I think he flies a little bit under the radar because he's not playing every single night, but he deserves credit along with guys like Brendan Donovan who came through on Wednesday as well. So I like where the offense is at. I'll be curious to see Thursday afternoon. Uh, you know, it's not a game that you just kind of write off. It, there is no such thing anymore as a getaway day lineup, I think, for the Cardinals. You may see a guy like Goldie or Arenado out of the lineup on Thursday or maybe one of them's in the DH spot instead of taking a full day off. But for the most part, on this lineup, in this roster, you don't have the quote-unquote classic getaway day lineup that you feel like it's posted online and you go, oh, that's not going to be a, a lineup that garners very much offensive support for the pitcher who is Adam Wainwright tomorrow. I don't think that's the case with this group. I think you're going to see every single lineup and you might go, oh, that's interesting. That's a guy that's in the starting lineup or in a spot that I don't often expect to see. But it's I think there's a rhyme and a reason to it this year, more so than any year in recent memory because of the effective way that they are exploiting platoon matchups right now. So we'll see if they're able to come up with that tomorrow on Thursday as the, the Cardinals go for the sweep. But I want to make sure we talk about Jordan Montgomery as well in this episode of the podcast because he has just been super solid, folks. And he's not necessarily an overwhelming uh, type of personality. He just kind of goes out there, does his job, and you don't hear him have a whole lot to say about it necessarily. He's not a guy that's going to go into a soliloquy like, I don't know, Brendan Schaefer might do on a B-Shafe Daily podcast and talk for 30 minutes without letting himself breathe or hear or anything like that. No, Jordan Montgomery is not that kind of guy. He's just going to go out there and let his actions speak for what he's doing and what he can provide to his team. But I want to play a clip from Ollie Marmel, courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest, from the post game on Wednesday because there were a couple of good questions and answers right in a row that I thought we could touch on because we've already talked about the impact of the young players offensively and how important that's been to the Cardinals. But I also want to allow this to kind of play through and you hear a little bit of Ali Marmel talking about Jordan Montgomery and what he brings to the table for the Cardinals because Montgomery's not a man of many words. You're not going to hear a whole lot of insight from him other than it's just kind of that all shucks mentality of, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to make anything bigger than it is. I'm just going out there trying to do my job for my team. And, you know, not always the best soundbite, but doesn't have to be. When you pitch like he has... That's all that matters. Five and two-thirds innings pitched on Wednesday. Falls short of the quality start because Ollie Marmel took him out after a double play there in the sixth inning, which Montgomery was not happy about. You could see it on the mound if you're reading lips. It was as though Montgomery was kind of trying to talk Ollie out of it a little bit. And Ollie, you could tell he said, hey, you did your job, man. We got you. You could read his lips and, and Ollie, the manager, says to Montgomery, we got you from here and the Cardinals of course did have him and Montgomery ends up getting credited with the win Andre Palante good in relief once again two and a third innings pitched no hits no walks and two strikeouts from Palante who has just simply answered the bell no matter the role that he's been in this year for the Cardinals he's just an absolute Ali Marmel mentioned Brendan Donovan it may be in this clip it may not have been but he called him a gamer I want to use that same phrase for Andre Palante he's a gamer he has come up and just no matter what the Cardinals have asked of him, and he's gotten it done as a rookie who on the first day of spring training, you may have known his name, but you would not have considered him somebody that the Cardinals would be heavily relying upon in August of 2022. But they're not just relying upon him in August of 2022. They've relied upon him the entire season going back to the moment they broke camp. 
He came north with this team, started out in the bullpen, went to a starter's role, lost that when they traded for guys at the deadline, hasn't phased him at all. I mean, he lost his starter's job after a game in which he went eight scoreless innings in Washington, D.C. It hasn't phased him whatsoever, and he comes out tonight and gives the Cardinals two and a third quality innings, gets him out of that sixth inning, and then pitches the seventh, eighth before turning things over to Giovanni Gallegos, who got out of the ninth inning scoreless as the Cardinals seal it up five to one winners over the Rockies. But I want to play this clip from Marmel and just give you a little bit of a taste of about a minute of some thoughts on some key contributors from today's win for the Cardinals. Well, how much did those kids give you give you some life? You know, you left Jupiter as a veteran team, but you've had, I think, 13 players make their MLB debut here. And they've all been ready. Mm-hmm. So credit to our minor league system because uh, everybody they sent up here has contributed. None of them have been scared. They've all uh, embraced uh, competition really well. Um, it's been a good group with the right mentality. So it's appreciated, that's for sure. Now that you've had had uh, Montgomery here a few weeks. What have you learned about his makeup as far as being a competitor on the mound? He's tougher um, than he may give off. He's a mellow kid, kind of low-key, but he's uh, ultra-competitive, um, loves being out there. Uh, like today, he definitely didn't want to come out of that game, um, but uh, he fits well with what we have going on here. Off what you've seen from Quintana and Montgomery, would you say August 2nd was kind of one of the key date of the season here so far. Yes. Mm-hmm. With a smile on his face, Ali Marmel says yes, that August 2nd was uh, was certainly a key date to the season, Kamish, and rightfully so. Montgomery, Quintana, these guys have had some really good numbers since joining the Cardinals, and it's the consistency that they bring to the table. You know what you're going to get. You have an expectation, and that expectation, at least so far, has been met each and every single time that these guys have taken the ball. They've made three starts each, and all three of them have been quality from both guys. Not officially a quality start, but they've certainly been effective. Quintana had two quality starts in a row, and then, of course, on Tuesday, it was just a weird set of circumstances there in that sixth inning where he was unable to finish the job after giving up four bleeding type of hits that just weren't hit very hard, weren't anything special to them, but they end up knocking Quintana from the game before he can officially qualify for that quality start. In the case of Montgomery, not quality in his first outing because he had the heat cramps issue when he faced the Yankees at Bush Stadium a couple weekends ago, but five innings scoreless. The next time out against Milwaukee this past weekend, six innings scoreless, had eight strikeouts in that game compared to just one strikeout when he first made his uh, initial appearance with the Cardinals. And then again tonight on Wednesday, eight more strikeouts for Jordan Montgomery as he goes five and two-thirds innings and just gives up the one run. That That's six for six from a rotation that was desperate 40% of the time for anything resembling consistency. And they're, it's like you flip a switch and it's completely turned on its head. You know exactly what you're going to get every fifth day. And right now these two lefties... Their fifth day is back-to-back. So 40% of the time, you're going, yep, you know pretty much you're going to get between five and six innings of one or two-run baseball at worst. And the offense knows, hey, you just got to chip away at these guys, and you're going to come away with a win when these guys are on the bump. And then you've got Adam Wainwright. You pretty much know what you're getting from him as well. You know what you're getting from Miles Michaelis. 
And then that fifth spot is one that they're, they're going to have to figure out, but they don't have to right now because they're skipping it this week thanks to the off day and the way that the schedule worked out. And Jack Flaherty is on the way. Three scoreless innings last night in Springfield. I believe it was 52 pitches. Was hitting 97 and as high as 98 on the stadium gun. Breaking off some curveballs. Like, add Jack Flaherty to a rotation right now that's already looking pretty solid. The Cardinals are a completely different dynamic. We talked about this on the big show on KTGR on Wednesday afternoon. You can listen to the big show, KTGR.com and the KTGR app, 4 to 6 p.m. every weekday. We did our top five, bottom five MLB teams. And that's something that I didn't feel quite comfortable putting the Cardinals into, into my top five. It's basically a power rankings. And I want to say off the top of my head, I had the Dodgers number one, the Yankees still number two. Although the home run that Josh Donaldson hit, it was a walk-off grand slam, I do believe, that he enjoyed for the Yankees on Wednesday night to the opposite way. That's a that's an F9 at Bush Stadium. It's unbelievable. Every Yankees highlight I see at that, at that stadium, they call it Williamsport East. Is that what I've seen? Because it's such a, it's just so small. Every highlight's like, oh yeah, that's a nice pop fly you hit to right field. Oh, it's over the fence. Oh, we're celebrating a grand slam. Good job, Josh Donaldson. <laughs> Good for you. But I had Dodgers, Yankees, Astros, and I actually had the Braves above the Mets, the way they're playing right now. And this was prior to uh, their game from this evening. The Mets did win that game to extend their lead over the Braves in the National League East. I think the Braves are going to catch them, though. The Mets are going to find a way to mess this thing, though I think both teams are pretty potent when you get to the playoffs. And so I just wasn't comfortable looking at the record of the Cardinals and saying, yeah, the Cardinals are officially in the top five over any of those teams. They're eight, nine, ten games in some cases behind in the the standings from what those teams have put together this season. But the Cardinals are an absolutely different team since August 2nd. And so that would be, I think, where you could make a legitimate case as to why the Cardinals are right now as they stand with the roster they're putting together on a nightly basis, why they are one of the top five teams in Major League Baseball. Maybe one of the five teams most effectively positioned to make a run when you get to October, potentially. And I think the way that they've performed since August 2nd probably bears that out. Let's take a look. And obviously, it's a little bit unfair that they went on that, uh, what was it, six, seven-game winning streak right after the trade deadline. It was six beginning on August 2nd, but they had the one July 31st, the Palante game that I mentioned a few minutes ago in Washington, D.C. before that. But after the trade deadline, beginning on August 2nd, the Cardinals go six in a row, and then they lose two of three to the Rockies but then they bounce right back and take two of three from the Brewers. So that's 12 games, and they go nine and three over that stretch. That's pretty good. And then they've come out in this series and have won two in a row. That's 11 of their last 14, if my math is correct. That's the kind of team I think the Cardinals can legitimately be going forward, and if that's the way they play, they are a top a top five team in baseball. And they, you can stack them up against any of those National League teams. The problem is going to be they've got to get into a playoff series and win a two out of three. The way things are trending right now, they're going to get that two out of three at Bush Stadium. But that being said, you still got to win those games, and those are games that uh, the NL East and NL West division winners are not going to have to contend with because they're just too far ahead of the Cardinals for the Cardinals to catch either of those teams. In the new playoff format, I, I have to kind of keep reminding myself that everybody's maybe – caught up to speed and aware of what's going to happen in October this year, but it's expanded. The playoff field is expanded from uh, anything that we've ever seen before. 
Uh, well, that's not actually true. In 2020, it was expanded even beyond this, where everybody played a best-of-three wildcard series. But this year, it's going to be the best two records, the best two division winners in each league get to advance to what we typically have traditionally known as the ALDS and the NLDS round, where you play the best three out of five and advance from there to the LCS and the World Series. Everybody else that's not those top four teams overall, top two in each league, is going to have to play a three-game wildcard series. Best two out of three, and it will not be involving any travels days. It will be at the same ballpark all three games, if necessary. The Cardinals, by winning the NL Central, would guarantee those games are played at Bush Stadium, and that's good. I don't know that the Cardinals are necessarily as set up as effectively in a three-game series as I do believe they would be in a seven-game series, because I think especially if you get Jack Flaherty back, you've got five starting pitchers that you would trust and you don't worry about the the scheduling quirks. And they're weird. They release the postseason schedule. And the ALDS is going to have a, a break between game one and two. It's not even a travel day. They're just not playing. And there's it's like they're the NBA all of a sudden, caring about what the TV deal is like and, and who's on TV at what time and needing to, to have an exclusive window for the NL games the next day. They're just not going to play. There's no reason for it other than that. It's just uh, television reasons. But... There's going to be some scheduling quirks that certain teams are going to have to contend with as they get into the NLCS and the ALCS. If it goes a full seven games toward the end of those series, there won't be a travel day. I mean, they'll have to travel. They just won't get a day off. They'll play game, I think it's like game five, and then they go to the next city for game six without a day off in between for the LCS. It's crazy, but I guess when you expand the playoffs, it's what you have to do to make sure it gets over before Thanksgiving. So that's kind of what we're looking at. In modern MLB. Thank you, Manfred, for all that good uh, that good stuff. But the Cardinals, I think, are set up really well when you get into some of those longer playoff series to have those things not really phase them this year. It's crazy to think about, and you got to knock on any wood you can find. But as far as depth to their pitching rotation, the Cardinals are as they're set up better than I ever could have imagined they would be at this point in the year. Like if you would have said eight weeks ago, four weeks ago, hell, three weeks ago right before the trade deadline to say, yeah, the Cardinals on August 18th are sitting there with about a dream situation for their starting rotation. You've got four guys you trust. You've got enough off days to where you can hit and miss on that fifth guy, even needing him in the rotation for now. And by the end of September, you're expecting Jack Flaherty to be back because he looked pretty good in his most recent rehab start. That's a, that's a turn on a dime from where the Cardinals had been. But it's they got the right guys. Credit to John Mozeliak for doing it. Credit to him for having the gumption to say, yeah, we we may not have it be our favorite thing to trade Harrison Bader and uh, do it when he's injured, when we kind of suspect that we might not be getting maximum value for him because of that injury. But we have to do it because this is a guy that we need to add to our rotation to get it to where it needs to go. Jose Quintana, Jordan Montgomery, both those guys, uh, I think that statement applies to them. And it's interesting to hear from Ollie Marmel in that that clip I played a few minutes ago to say he's tougher than he might look. And it's not to say that he doesn't look tough, but he is just kind of a more soft-spoken guy that's just about the work. He's not really going to try and impress you with anything he has to say. There's, It's just what you see is what you get. And I, there's nothing wrong with that. And I like the guy because he's a competitor. The fact that he tried to talk his manager out, it's his third game with a new team. He said in his first outing, I remember this, had the heat cramps. They checked on him in the fifth inning at the beginning of the inning. He threw some warm-up pitches and said, yeah, he's good to go. Scoreless fifth inning. Then Ollie took him out 
you know, he didn't come back out for the sixth, but Jordan said he didn't try to talk him out of it or anything. With the cramping issue, he was fine with it. But it took only two more starts for Jordan Montgomery to be like, no, but tonight I was pissed. I wanted to be out there. He said he he wasn't happy with the way that inning ended, but credit to Palante for for backing him up and getting him out of the jam in, in that situation. But he felt like, I can get Iglesias out. I can get through this for my team. I want to be that workhorse. He said that's what he wants to do every fifth day, be a workhorse for the team. And I just think back to Adam Wainwright at his locker a couple few weeks ago when he was talking about, yeah, I'm getting these texts from the Yankees clubhouse, from guys I know over there, who said, you're just going to love this Jordan Montgomery guy. He's a he's a gamer. And I'm remembering the tweet that was sent out by one of the New York uh, reporters who was getting uh, kind of a last chance to talk to Montgomery, I guess, before he was heading out to uh, St. Louis. And he said, I'll die on that mound. I'm the kind of guy that wants to die out there on the mound. He doesn't want to leave it. And I know that hasn't matched up exactly with him being a guy that, you know, you hear a statement like that and you think, boy, he's probably somebody that's going to go seven, eight innings every time. Well, no, that's not always the case, but he has the bulldog mentality and the Cardinals are getting a lot out of him. I like that they've talked about, and he's mentioned this after both of his last two starts, that since coming to the Cardinals, the staff here and Yachty and all those guys have said, your glove side fastball is an effective pitch. In on right-handed batters for the left-handed pitcher, throw your fastball and your sinker on that side of the plate, and that's something that you can be effective doing. And it's like it, it flummoxed batters tonight. I think you could see it in, in some of his eight strikeouts. It was just struck him out looking, struck him out swinging. At the, it's not like the pitch was anything tricky, but he was getting strikeouts on those pitches, and so I think they've unlocked a little bit of something extra with his fastball since he's come to St. Louis and maybe didn't get it established quite entirely in in his first outing when he just had the 1K, but eight strikeouts in consecutive games, I'm pretty sure that was tying a career high when he did it, or or a season high, I should say, when he did it in his last outing, and then he does it again tonight. So he's establishing some new norms for what he can do on the mound for the Cardinals. But at, at the same point, it's just the consistency that the Cardinals really have been chasing, and that's what they're getting with Montgomery, with Quintana. So that's part of the reason you see the Cardinals right now leading the NL Central by three games. Just seems like a couple of weeks ago, and it seems like it because it was the case, that the Cardinals were down like four games within the last two or three weeks, and now they're they're up by three, and they get another opportunity with the Dodgers taking on the Brewers again on Thursday. Maybe one more shot for the, the Dodgers to help out the Cardinals in this instance. And then it'll be the Brewers against the Cubs over the weekend, and then they get the Dodgers once again. So... This is an opportunity. I know the Cardinals are going to have a weird road trip coming up where you got to go through Arizona. That's always tricky to head west. But the Cardinals have an opportunity. First of all, they want to finish it up against the Rockies on Thursday afternoon. 12-15 start at Busch Stadium on Thursday. Don't forget about that. But the way the schedule sets up, facing the Rockies, facing the Diamondbacks, and then five against the Cubs at Wrigley, the schedule sets up really well for the Cardinals to finish this month on a strong note. They will have to face the Braves as well and the uh, the Reds thereafter. August is a long month, what can I say? But things are looking really good right now for the Cardinals. They've just got to keep it right where it is and maybe make note of some of those lineup conversations and questions maybe to ask. Hopefully Paul DeYoung gets it back going the way that he had been, but be aware when when things aren't looking right. And, and as a manager, I think Ollie Marmel has done a great job of this, but just have your finger on the pulse and, and pull the right, the right levers and push the right buttons when you need to. It's been really encouraging what we've seen from the Cardinals. Let me know what you think about not only Wednesday's win and the Cardinals 
uh, attempt at going for the sweep on Thursday, but just anything to do with this team right now and what your impressions are of the way that they've played since August 2nd. You can let me know always at bshafer12 on Twitter. Send me a direct message or just tweet at me there if you'd prefer to do so. And make sure you're subscribed over here. And hey, check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash bshafer12 if you'd like to find some additional ways to support bshafe daily and the, the podcast that we do here. Appreciate you guys. As always, that's going to do it for this edition of the show. We'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.